Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. As always, we will tip our hat to New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana hot sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Title sponsor of the Knollcast. I use it at breakfast. I use it at lunch. I use it at dinner. Three simple ingredients, three opportunities to use it throughout the day. Hats off to them and a big thank you. Bud, we've got scrimmage. We've got commitment talks. You forgot snacking. Snacking, yeah, that's true. uh, There there are multiple, there there are even more. AM, PM snack, maybe five times a day. Defo, you know, it's there. It's there when you need it. So uh, a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. We have, uh, well, an apology uh, to discuss. We have a football scrimmage that not sure exactly how much we can take away from given who played and, and probably more importantly, who did not play in the scrimmage. But we have some takeaways just from some folks uh, who were able to see it and uh, you know, talking to them. An, an injury to talk about. We'll see what else we get to in this. And we'll probably follow this one with, with another show uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. So we'll, we'll kind of see about that. Maybe a little discussion of rumor season as, as well. Rumors flying, of course, all the time this time of year largely in part to the fact that there's not that much else going on. So where do you want to start? You, you want to kind of go where we and pick up where we left off last time with uh, Warren Thompson, DJ Matthews, the, the receiver room, COVID, all this other stuff going on? Yeah, let's uh, let's move there and then we'll uh, make our way into the scrimmage. So uh, obviously the most recent update to this uh, saga, if you want to call it such, it's probably a little dramatic, but uh, saga. yeah, saga. Um Warren Thompson tweets out what is a, what is an apology, kind of explains the uncertainty and the concern that he has, all exceptionally valid, in my opinion. It uh, doesn't mean that it probably couldn't have been handled a little bit better, but, you know, Thompson's part of the team moving forward. Norvell's spoken publicly about that and that he understands, has empathy for his uh, position that he's put in. And, you know, it's, it's a challenging situation for everybody, obviously. And we can say that and that it almost sounds like a empty comment. I mean, it is really freaking hard for everybody. It's hard for coaches. It's hard for players. It's exceptionally hard for these players' parents. It's a tough time. Again, doesn't mean the situation couldn't have been handled better, but we were real quick to kind of stomp out any kind of talk that uh, the Marvin Wilson situation, maybe that could have been spun as a positive. Maybe you could say, uh, you know, a – basically we didn't find a way that you thought that could ultimately be positive here. I might have a little bit of a different look on it. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about players finding their voice recently. I think it's been established to the number one voice in the locker room. And I think there's probably been uh, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a consolation or a, uh, a power <laughs> like power that's come together. But I think, whereas maybe 10 days ago, I would say that Marvin Wilson's voice might've been the most powerful one in the locker room. I think it's pretty clear that uh, Mike Dorvell is the captain of the ship at this point, and for better or for worse, I think that will be something that we look back and take away from this kind of moment in time. Yeah, and I, I think you can have a, a positive result from this uh, internally. Now, externally, I've still got people who are in college football who are like, "Hey, is Florida taking a suit up this year?" And I'm like, "Well, what do you mean?" They're like, "Well, with the whole you know, like players holding out with Marvin Wilson thing." And the thing is, if you listen to this show. You are probably in like the top one percent of all Florida State diehards. Okay, I mean we, we know maybe top. Well, we have more fans than that, so like top ten percent of all Florida State diehards. Recruits don't listen to this show. You know, parents don't listen to this show. Like for for that side of things, this is still certainly a negative deal for PR. 
internally, this, this might have helped Mike Norvell some, uh, because like you said, you did see some guys just kind of making some side comments about the receivers room. And, and I think this is something that probably most of the players on the team, I'm not going to say all, but you know, a, a lot of them, I think thought, you know what? This actually was explained to us. Okay. And there were conversations had about this, multiple of them. It, it, it reminds me of, are, are you a Simpsons fan? Yes, absolutely. So do you remember when Springfield got its new area code? <laughs> uh, I do not remember that one. No. Okay. So there, there's an episode where, where Springfield gets its new area code and they, they show all the different preparations and they had like instructional videos, pamphlets, leaflets, uh, blah, 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 a lot of stuff. And then Homer picks up the phone and it's like, remember that old, the old phone sound when, when, uh, when, when you can't get, uh, when you can't get a call out because you, you haven't hit the right, the right numbers. Uh, and, and Homer starts to go kind of crazy. And Lenny's like, Homer, what's wrong? And he's like, I, I have to dial this area code now. And, and I, this might have been one of the old Simpsons because it, it's, it's got that kind of old Homer voice in it. Uh, and he's like, well, he's like, no, no, nobody told me how to do this. And Lenny's like, well, what about the two weeks we spent at area code camp and, and the instructional videos and your tattoo? So I, I think most of the guys probably felt that uh, the stuff was explained okay. And I do think he has some parents who maybe their beef needs to be with, uh, with, with some of their own kids or readjusting your expectations about what you could say as far as HIPAA and FERPA and whatnot. Yeah, th- this could be a, a long-term positive internally. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think keeping Warren Thompson on the team has anything to do with perhaps his complaints being legitimate and by keeping him on the team and not kicking him off the team, those complaints perhaps do not come to light in more detail publicly? Uh, I certainly think there's some chance of that. And I, I don't think that the uh, total like frustration was wildly unfounded. I mean, I think there was uh, some broken, uh, you know, broken protocols, as we talked about, some things that Florida State needs to be aware of from their perspective. And also, I, I said this in the last podcast, there's, you know, and this is across the board and what we saw at UNC today, you know, there's some, some things that the kids need to continue to do better when they come in the Moore Center and, and probably more importantly, when they're not in the Moore Center. You know, everybody's put these protocols together. Everybody's spent a whole hell of a lot of time and money trying to both provide as safe an environment possible and one that ultimately facilitates us seeing college football. Um, I think all parties can do better here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But uh, as of now, Warren Thompson is still on the team. DJ Matthews still on the team. Nobody has opted out as of yet, or at least no no additional uh, opt-outs, which uh, could, could be a positive for uh, for this spring if uh, if you know if those guys can kind of get in line and do what they're supposed to do. And I I think you're right. This this probably was a wake up call internally. Right, everybody on the staff. And I don't mean coaches, but trainers, GAs, SAs, analysts, etc. They, they all kind of need to be on the same page and not uh, not downplay the the virus, which I, I think was was one of the complaints there. Presidents, athletic directors, and head coaches too. If you're going to talk about something that's going on, you need to be damn sure that it's hammered out, it's active, and that there's no ambiguity as to how the message could be interpreted or how the, uh, you know, the things have actually played out. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely think there's people over there who think the, uh, the Thompson initial complaint was made in bad faith, by the way, like I, there, there's definitely an attitude over there that, Hey, he was talked to like the, the, this was explained to him and this going to Instagram with this 
was unnecessary. You know, like, like Norvell said, everybody has a right to post what they want. I, I think back to that conversation that, that we had and you brought up the point. Look at the difference in the way that Norvell handled that versus how he handled Mar- the Marvin Wilson situation. And with Wilson, it was apologetic. It was, Hey, I, I screwed up here. It was, we're not talking about this. Like we, we, we're not talking about this meeting, you and I, the media, because I've actually talked to Warren about this and DJ and those guys and many conversations ha- have been had. Now, ultimately, it does fall on him to, to make sure communication is good with everybody on his team. And that means lowest common denominator. I'm not saying Thompson's lowest common no- denominator, but like you have to make sure that you are communicating effectively with your high functioning guys and with your guys who maybe need a little extra communication on top of the, <laughs> of the extra. Uh, communication there uh, and everybody learns in, in different ways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, saying all the things I'm, I'm supposed to say here, but like you got to realize some of your guys may not get the message. Hopefully that they can avoid any, uh, any serious uh, COVID outbreaks. We did see North Carolina today uh, after basically a week back on campus, they decided to go to online only classes, which grab them student fees, grab <laughs> dorm, <laughs> grab it all. And send them home. Even if they give you the option to refund it, I mean, how many kids are going to ask their parents to stay on campus now that they're already moved into their dorms? Probably good. Probably a good number. Now, if you can pull this off, I will say this. If you actually can pull this off and you just say, screw it, amateurism is not a thing. And like, we're going to go ahead and like say it's safe enough for these guys to play college football, despite the fact that it's not safe enough for people to go to, <laughs> to go to class on campus. Then actually, this could uh, this this could actually help you pull off a season because of the fact that you're going to have a lot less exposure to other kids. You can sort of pull off a bubble without really having a bubble. So I, I do think that's this is not really on our show outline, but the broader discussion here I, I think is interesting. No, it's it's something that we talked about, and it's uh, you know the idea that Clemson pushed their kids coming back onto campus as far off as they did was thought to. And I mentioned this on the show was thought to try to limit the amount of students that are there uh, perhaps to uh, give the locker room as much of a chance to kind of get the uh, proverbial plane off the ground of the season and uh, see where it goes from there. So UNC, it happened. It won't be the first place that it happens. It'd be interesting if it changes anybody's perspective as to if students can't be on campus, if student athletes can then participate. But uh, we'll leave all that worry and concern for a later date when we are more confident those discussions are being had again. All right. We will thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group. Always proud to brag on Madison Social. MadisonSocial.com backslash NOLCAST where you can grab a NOLCAST shirt and a very attractive NOLCAST hat, if I can say so myself. And also, uh, I know we've talked about it recently, but uh, big if we're going to tip our hat to New Iberia, Tip our hat to our friends at Central. They've reopened. They're back again. Great place to be able to grab uh, all sorts of kind of assorted Italian uh, favorites and as good of a pizza as you're going to find in Tallahassee. So uh, keep them in the back of your mind. Maybe hit up Bad So for lunch and Central for a uh, after lunch cocktail or something like that. And uh, as always, thank you to Matt and his team. Uh, great to see some of our listeners who listen to the podcast stop off in Tallahassee particularly to go to Madso, grab lunch. That's fantastic. We appreciate your support and proud to be able to have a relationship with Matt where people can document things like that on social media where they have. Absolutely. Uh, I love getting that kind of feedback from them. So we had a scrimmage. It was a scrimmage. It was a, a scrimmage that 
from what I understand, looked like a scrimmage where you really haven't had uh, a spring of practices and you're installing a new system and you didn't really have much of a, a summer uh, program compared to normal. But yet we still have some news. We still have some positive takeaways, still have a couple negative takeaways. Uh, and so we should get into some of these, uh, some of these takeaways. And I think we have a lot to discuss here. Unfortunately, uh, the first bit of news is, uh, a, probably the major takeaway from, the, from this scrimmage as far as lasting impact as opposed to how they did, uh, is that Brock Purdy's gonna, gonna miss, uh, at, at least a couple of weeks. Um, uh, I, I was told on, uh, Saturday or Sunday that, uh, that, that Purdy, uh, was done with, with a collarbone. That was the text I got. And I was like, ah, damn. But, uh, but, but today, uh, Mike Norvell said he'd, he'd miss, uh, miss a couple of weeks. So, and didn't specify what the, what the injury was. So perhaps it's not a collarbone, right? Maybe, maybe it could be a shoulder. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, certainly an, up, an upper body injury in, in that kind of general area. Brock Purdy, if you're not familiar, if you guys are, are folks who don't pay much attention to recruiting, Brock Purdy is a, a four star true freshman quarterback. Florida State signed him last year when, uh, when Norvell, uh, and coach, uh, coach Dillingham came on board. He is, uh, his brother obviously is, uh, is Brock Purdy. So, uh, Chubba Purdy is the, the guy for Florida State. I think I might have messed that up when I was saying a second ago. I was going to let you just run with it until, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I was filling out my CBS sports slash 24 seven sports all America team, uh, before this call. So, uh, it's just kind of, kind of in my head, but yeah, uh, Chubba Purdy does go down, uh, with the, uh, with the injury there. Ingram, uh, we'll do a couple of buyer sells throughout this show. First of all, we, we, we hope the kid gets, gets better. Uh, he, he was having a, uh, well, I can tell you he was like going to be the starter and like that, but I, I do think that he had showed off you know, some nice skills and, and he's still a nice prospect long term. Buyer sell, uh, the Purdy injury being out for, let's just call it a month, locks up the starting job for James Blackman. Yeah, I, I think I'll buy it. I mean, I, it's, it's hard not to at this point. And, and when you talk to people down there, they would refer to James as the quarterback uh, even prior to this injury, which I expect. I mean, you're going to do that for a kid who's been in the program as long as he has, and you're going to make somebody beat him uh, most certainly. But I really think, and not to take any way, thing away from, from Shubba, uh, that it, it ultimately James would have been your, your, you know, the first guy to take a snap against Georgia Tech almost regardless. James is, I'm not going to tell you, he's lighting the world on fire, but he seems to have made some progress. Um, coaches have been fairly, fairly happy with some of the steps that he's made. Also, you know, James, James can be frustrating. James can make a throw that you think, oh man, here it is. We've turned the corner. It, it clicked and three plays later, make a throw where you go, James, what was that? <laughs> what the hell? What the hell, man? Uh, so he's, he's, he's talented and frustrating at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I think he's your quarterback. I think he was going to be your quarterback and I'll certainly buy the idea that, he is all but officially QB1 at this point in time. I will also uh, buy that. Obviously, Purdy gets a little bit of, uh, of run early in the scrimmage. Actually, I think, I think you can see it either in the photos or the video. I'm trying to remember. Like He actually had some, some work down there when they were doing some goal line stuff, which is what they did early in, in the scrimmage. Uh, Tate Rodemaker is, I think, your backup. Did, did you see anything in the scrimmage report about Jordan Travis? Because I, I didn't, and I found that kind of curious. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I think they're going to work Travis into the mix is the feeling that I say. I will, I'm will. i always hesitant about scrimmage reports, about what actually happened uh, and, and what transpired. Uh, but that did stand out to me, certainly. I'll tell you that uh, 
the guy I was talking to also didn't mention Travis at all. So I, I kind of wonder if he played in, in, in the scrimmage. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, your emergency quarterbacks are probably Travis J and DJ Matthews, I would think, with Ja'Kai Douglas as like your fifth emergency QB, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, I, I was told James Blackman, uh, you know, made some nice throws. We'll, we'll get into this in a second, but well, I guess we can actually jump into this part right now before we talk defense. Florida State was extremely limited at the receiver position, particularly at the outside receiver position. Uh, so Warren Thompson and DJ Matthews obviously did not play in the scrimmage. Terry played very little from what I understand. I don't think Poitier played the, the freshman receiver. So like your outside guys, very limited there. Uh, so you're having to play a lot of kind of slot running back in, in the slot screen pass games. And I'm sure the defense knew that as well. Even if they're not calling defenses that are specifically trying to, to limit that as a, as a competitor, you're not going to ignore the fact that the dude you have on the outside, once Terry plays a series or two and sits down, you're not going to simply ignore that those guys are gone. Right. Um, so I was told basically that that was a, a limiting factor for the offense, uh, for sure. So that that's kind of interesting. And you know, I was like, okay, you get Warren back, you get DJ back. Do, do I think you can count on those guys? Do you think you can trust those guys? Not really. Can you get good play out of one of them maybe this year? I, I think you're just kind of rolling the dice and, and playing the odds. But uh, certainly they're, without the guys they had out, they're, they're, they're pretty short there at the receiver position. No, I mean, it's just human nature. Um, you know, you, you know your other team as well as you're ever going to know a team, particularly at this point uh, in, in the place. And when you got walk-ons and kids that otherwise aren't going to really be pressing for time, it's just hard to, it's hard to not adjust a little bit as to what you're doing. You want to go into the idea, I mean, look, the defense was dominant. That doesn't, it's not ex- unexpected. It doesn't come as a surprise. We've all seen some clips of, you know, certain defensive ends abusing offensive tackles and everything else that's out there. Um, maybe we talk for five minutes about what we think's real. Obviously, it's impossible to speculate at this point, but we'll put some kind of filter on on what, if anything, you can take away from the performance of the defense. And and with the idea that at this point in the season, uh, I don't care if you're playing sixth grade football, college ball, the defense is always going to be in front of the offense. It's just a more simple. Uh, just instincts, really. Uh, so it's it's always going to be the case. And then when you talk about the talent that Florida State has on one side of the ball and the talent that they don't have on the other, I think it's only going to be exasperated. So you know what I know is real? Legendary home loans, dude. Legendary home loans. Almost 80 Noel Cast listeners have used legendary home loans to get their home loan or refi. I did my home loan and my refi to those guys. Shannon and Chad are awesome. 844 FSU loan. It's knowledge of the industry. It's great conversation when you pick up that phone and call 844 FSU Loan. It's the ability to get financing from a variety of different locations to be able to fit the loan to you the best they can. Look, it's a great experience. I mean, it, nobody's like, hey, man, I love the mortgage experience, but it, like they, they do a tremendous job of making it as pleasant as possible. 844 FSU Loan, proud supporters of the Nolcast. Give legendary home loans a call. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this about what is real, what is not. Um, I was told that the defensive line was pretty dominant, and I think I kind of buy that for the most part. Like, I, I buy a guy 
like a Robert Cooper. Obviously, Mike Norvell spoke about Josh Kando in, in pretty glowing terms, and, and I was told that Kando had had a big day too. So I, I, I believe that. Of course, grain of salt. Who is attempting to block these guys? We know that the worst position on the team, really by far, is, is the offensive line. Additionally, you know, tight end trying to block. That it's not like they have a whole lot of tight ends who are are, are good at that. Cam McDonald, uh, for for all the receiving talent he has, is, is not that much of a blocker. Uh, we'll talk about Jordan Wilson in a second. Uh, so I, I would pump the brakes a little bit on on the pass rush being dominant. But basically, what I was told is the scrimmage had so many tackles for loss and pressures on the quarterback and sacks that yes, the offense did have bright spots, but essentially the defense just ended a lot of plays before they could really begin. That's pretty much similar to what we've seen over the last two years at Florida state, really ever since you had all those injuries in, in the, in the 2018 season. Yeah. I'm pretty confident this this is a very good D line, but is it going to be like a top five nationally defensive line? I think, if you didn't know that Florida State's offensive line was was really lacking and you were out there watching, you might come away thinking, oh my God, this defensive line is just incredible. Whereas it might merely just be very good. How confident can you be in this group? I mean, uh, this is not the answer that I would like to give or, or that our listeners might appreciate. I don't, I really don't think you can take anything away at this point. You know, I mean, if, if, if one of your defensive tackles shows quick hands and, and pushes, you know, pushes Pope off the ball or something like that, then yeah, that's nice, uh, and and maybe you can build a little bit more confidence. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that are currently on that line that if Florida State wants to <laughs> wants to win, uh, you know, five or six games, really can't take snaps. Uh, and I, it's not great observation that I'm given, but it's just the truth. It's the composition of the roster. It's the people that that play the tackle position in particular. I just think we're going to have to see Florida State play another team before we can really have extrapolations about uh, both the offense and defensive line. I, I think I agree with you there, ultimately. Although I do like their depth, right? I, I think they're going to get something out out of Fabian Lovett, right? Maybe they get something out out of your out of, out of Jackson, your, your your Louisville transfer. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that, but uh, I've seen some clips of him and. He doesn't look like he's in as bad a shape as, as he used to be. So that's encouraging, right? Like now, I think, Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you. I think we've always said that's going to be boom, boom or bust. I mean, that's either going to be a player and a contributor for you or we're going to wake up on Tuesday morning and read that he was dismissed from the program. Uh, you know, I mean, and I'm not saying in two days. That's not – I'm just saying as a hypothetical. One day we're going to wake up no longer part of the team. Or dude's going to take snaps and he'll be an absolute contributor. It's just ultimately – you know, kind of how much between the lines they can keep him and, and motivate him and, and get out of him. So I'm also growing in confidence in the secondary, N- not from not from this, this this scrimmage performance, right? Because clearly you had so many receivers out and they're trying to throw balls like like the backs who, who are split out in the slot, and and that's not really that tough to defend for a good defense. But man, I you know I hear stuff, Travis J. As somebody who covers recruiting in this state and sees these kids in this state, I, I really think as much as anybody else in the entire state, because it's my job and I'm, I'm all over the state, I know Travis Jay is a stud. It, it would be very hard for me to think that he would not be a really good player for you almost immediately. Now, I think he had he had the academic redshirt thing going on last year that maybe Malcolm Ray did too on the defensive line, if, if I recall. I'm trying to remember here. Like I think they could have used Travis Jay last year. And for him to be battling Renardo Green at, uh, at at 
at the free safety spot, I feel like they're in pretty good hands. Similarly, I, I saw Jarvis Brownlee as a recruit quite a bit. You know, he, he was an excellent defender for South Florida Express, and he was also a really good defender for his high school team. And I thought, okay, when he's on Express, on that Express defense, if you guys are, are new listeners, we went over this probably 18 months ago, that Express defense he was on, which, which won the national title uh, for South Florida Express, the seven-on team, I mean, the guys in that defense pretty much across the board went Bama-Bama, Ohio State, Clemson. But essentially, at the time, Brownlee didn't have very many big offers, and, and yet he was not being picked on and, in fact, was actually making a lot of plays himself and has size and speed. It's like, well, this guy's pretty damn good. I, I'm a little surprised other teams didn't get on him more. Hear Mike Morvell talk about him. Hearing him, or well, not hearing, seeing him show up on the Operation Turnover deal that, that, uh, that Coach Fuller puts out on Twitter w- when his defense gets a turnover, like that's encouraging because I, I really have real faith that guy can play because of how good he was in high school. And Akeem Dent, like, look, dude, I, I really think Akeem Dent can play. I know he dropped some picks last year, but I was talking to Brendan Sinone on the phone about uh, Knowles 24-7 about Dent. I said, look, man, if he catches two of those picks from last year, he's probably on a freshman All-America team. And like that's, and I, I don't think he's got terrible hands. I think he just had some really kind of poor interception catching luck last year. And you're talking about something with a very small sample of, of I mean, how many interceptable balls did he have to pick off? Maybe five, you know, and, and he just didn't, he didn't come down with them. We haven't even said Asante Samuel's name yet. I, I think the Jones kid from Mississippi State is a guy who can contribute. We really like Nico Dotson as a floor player, I think, right? Like your FAU kid who led, I think he, what he led, he lead, he lead the Sun Belt, the nation in picks. I think he led the nation. I could be wrong about that. And, uh, and picks are, we've talked all about, you know, you don't extrapolate a ton from that, but, but you probably don't suck, right? No, like, you that, know, you got decent hands, decent instincts, and you made the most of the situations you were put in, certainly. We also haven't, haven't said Hamsa's name. Now look, he's, he's, you know, hasn't been, hasn't been playing. FSU put out video, like I think we're free to talk about this. FSU put out a video in which he was on crutches. Uh, I don't think he was on crutches for the scrimmage, but he's certainly not not participating in, in practices right now. Uh, but Hanson Astralty, who is like an elite safety nationally, if if he's healthy. We have, haven't even mentioned his name yet. I'll throw out another name, Jaden Woodby. I do think that the defense will be better coordinated than it was last year. Now, it might take a little while because they were not there in the spring, okay, to, to get all this stuff implemented. You may, you may disagree. You may, you may think it, it happens immediately. But I, I am confident in, in Fuller and Woodson's ability, you know, Coach, coach Woodson, the, the DB coach for, for everybody who's just still learning the names. I, I am confident in their ability to, to put together a second year that communicates and plays well given this much talent that they have. I really think that, that Florida State will be able – to have a very good secondary, uh, and one that if the pass rush is lacking, it will probably allow them to blitz more. I think you know when you just when you look at the elite talent that's on this roster, you know you got a player in time at, at guard that I think has a chance to play in the NFL, and Terry so is Terry. Other than that, pretty much every high end, really elite piece of talent you have is is along the defensive line of scrimmage or in the secondary, and you've kind of you know, clustered a lot of your elite recruiting at those positions. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that 
some of their early results have been strong. I do think the two no, newcomers, the kid, uh, the Dotson kid we talked about, the uh, Jones kid from Miss State, um, have real potential to play and are going to be kids that are kind of immediately recognized. And, and that, you know, we didn't, haven't even talked about some of the other real elite prospects that have come in in the secondary over the past two years or so. So uh, I think it's going to be a really good defense. I am, I, I'm trying to put a, a filter on some of my expectations and not just trash the past staff. I also think the staff was a little bit better then maybe it showed on paper we were never really coaching to the defensive philosophy that paired with the defensive coordinator's background last year. It's just a bizarre situation. So, you know, what a real – sometimes Bud and I laugh about what a, a coordinated defense will look like. No, I haven't seen one in a couple of years. And uh, I think that'll be immediately noticeable and guys will be much more frequently in places to succeed and familiar with what's needed for that success than we've seen in a while. And, and look, we know – that because of how efficient the passing games are now in, in college football, passing defense is the more important part of defense now. It's crazy because everybody always, like, what, what were you brought up on? Stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. Well, now we kind of know, all right, stopping the run's important. But if you can just be feasted on on early downs with, with, with short passes like this team was last year at times, then the run game's not that important. And it's going to be damn hard to run the football on this team. Because you got Marvin Wilson, you got assuming he gets back healthy, Corey Durden, you got Robert Cooper, you have probably you have True Thompson, you probably have one of like if I had to bet one of Jackson Lovett Ray, I would bet that that yes that you you get good production out of at least one of those dudes. You're not going to have a whole lot of blockers get get up to your backers. I I don't think. Now we got to figure out that other, other defensive end spot, but just go with me here for this. What I am concerned about a little bit is linebacker pass coverage. That, to me, is probably the number one part of this defense, other than, than pass rush, which we talked about, which if Kando's coming on, then, then that's going to help solve part of that. And I think you'll get strong interior pass rush as well, which always helps to push the pocket. But linebacker pass coverage is far and away my greatest concern about this defense. Because last year they got eaten up under the middle. It, it wasn't a whole lot of guys bombing them over the top. It was just repeatedly, damn, how did they complete that? You know, how did they complete that? How did they complete that? But they have to get some guys out there who can run and who can cover. I'm interested to see how they integrate Amari Gaynor in this because I, I liked Amari Gaynor's athleticism and I liked his pass rushing ability and his physicality, but I never really thought he was an amazing cover guy. So does he factor in there? It, how much true linebacker does he actually play? We've heard good things about Stephen Dix. I think Stephen Dix can, can run a little bit. The other kid from Georgia, uh, the thicker kid, uh, yeah. With Lundy, again, everybody in the scrimmage report said good things. I want to see that guy run and cover. I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it on him. Yeah, it's awesome to see Dix and Lundy, you know, flexing on people after the game, and that's great. Uh, but it's it's easy to see where you might have concern. Uh, with with pass rush or excuse me not pass rush but the ability to provide coverage uh, from those guys and and it's certainly you know it's been a concern with with Warner since day one Jerome McCray is not necessarily who you want dropping back into pass coverage so I think Deloach man is probably is probably the guy that, ha- that has to step up for them I thought Deloach had a real good chance of starting for about a year now uh, because of that reason he, he just has a skill set that the rest of that 
core and certainly, unfortunately, Brooks bring that either. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a skill set that's real hard to find. Then some more negative news from the scrimmage, unfortunately. I think that defensive report was pretty damn positive. And I will point out, by the way, there's not that many teams out there that you play who I'm real confident can light you up consistently in the pass game. And Clemson can, Florida can, Notre Dame can, North Carolina can. But you do play a decent number of teams who, if they don't improve a lot from last year, probably are not going to be in a great position to take advantage of you. Like Boston College, Syracuse, you know, that, 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 those type of teams there are, are not teams who, who I think can effectively throw the ball underneath on you on a consistent basis. So we'll have to see how that goes. But, uh, some unfortunate news, uh, Jordan Wilson, your tight end transfer from UCLA, is out for the year with, I believe, an Achilles. Uh, he will, he'll have to apply for a sixth year. That I think those guys typically are getting those sixth years now. Uh, but very disappointing to have him out. And then that really does kind of hurt, hurt you at the tight end position. Uh, you have Ken McDonald, who I think could be productive as a receiver. We'll have to see how well he blocks. But Wilson was a guy they were counting on uh, to block for him. Now they're not going to have that. So. What do you think the impact there is? Well, you know, it's been a position that we've been real vocal about. The coaching staff had a lot of internal concern about, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's a that's a loss. I, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the places that they look to address immediately, and that sounds like a season ender. So that's uh, that's going to be problematic. Definitely going to limit what you can do. I absolutely agree. Uh, so have a little rumor season. So a little rumor season. I tacked this on, bud. Um, it's crazy, man. I mean, I I, um, <laughs> I I think that always happens at this point in the calendar. I think it's only magnified by COVID and the lack of information surrounding the program. But man, I've heard more rumors over the past ten days than it feels like I have the last three years. You know, I mean, I've heard probably sixty five percent of the rosters name various times being associated with this, that, the other. I just want to tell everybody to, and I'm not going to say something ridiculous like, oh, if we don't say it, you know, wait for us to say it before it's true. No, just have a big filter on what you see on message boards, on what you see on various social media. There are some crazy rumors out there, and I, I think some of it is maybe staff feeling out people. Some of it's probably internally with a new staff trying to feel, figure out who they can trust, how decent or how different pieces of information gets out. Uh, I've heard enough rumors recently that I think there's some intentional misinformation out there. Now, where that's coming from, I don't know, don't care. I just tell everybody to have a take everything with a grain of salt as to what you see out there because there's a ton of stuff that's flying around. I don't mean some big, massive you know, rumor looming over the horizon. I'm just saying I've heard more rumors over the past 10 days than I can remember during a period of time uh, associated with Florida State football. It, it is certainly rumor season for sure. Uh, by the way, uh, just wanted to mention here today, uh, the defensive dominance continued in today's practice. So Coach Norvell's comments were, uh, I think he said, uh, we struggled to do much of anything on offense. Probably indicative of the offensive line. We got through most of the show without talking about that. So uh, Jeff Cameron also played some some audio of him from the Zoom conference. I was not on the Zoom conference today. Uh, but uh, basically, he and, and Coach Dillingham spoke around the subject uh, and said, yeah, we're looking to find five. You know, we we like we'd like to find eight, but like we got to find the right five. And uh, you think you know? I, I know this is the case for last year's staff, and I I don't you know 
I haven't talked to people that directly coach <laughs> said unit. Uh, but I think there's all the different things that you can hear. You can watch film, you can have practice, you could be concerned. And then all of a sudden when the first, you know, I don't like to use this expression, but I will, as soon as the first kind of bullets fly, you're like, Oh wow, this is the unit that I really have to work with. This is the unit that I realize. I mean, there's some real... It's like, where's the rest of the guys? Like, uh, oh, O-S-H, you know what moment when you actually see this offensive line and, and what it can do, or maybe more importantly, can't do. We should, we should get out the, uh, the, the Nolcast offensive line improvement plan. Remember this? <laughs> the, the, like, like, like the PRP we put them on? And, uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, or not PRP, P, uh, yeah, PIP. I think this year we, we set the goal of them being below average, correct? I believe that was what we were striving for, yeah. I think that's still potentially within reach. We'll see. You do have Greg Rousseau opting out for Miami. You have uh, Twyman opting out for Pitt. At this pace, we'll have like an NFL defensive lineman opt out from every team on FSU's schedule. Xavier Thomas is out with uh, with his issues. Xavier Thomas yep. is out. We we can say Xavier Thomas like you know maybe not living up to the hype quite as quite as much as people thought he would. However, FSU couldn't block him, so that's yeah. I was gonna say not not. <laughs> Yeah, not anybody I wanted to give uh, that assignment to on this roster. So yeah, no, l- last year was like, yeah, he hasn't really done much, and then boom, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's disappointing. Uh, but those Clemson guys always seem to bring it against Florida State, even the ones that are kind of inconsistent. It's like, oh, they they show up, and the same thing with Miami too. It, it, seeing that Florida State helmet still gets them going. It's the helmet, exactly. Still, still get, still get the best from everybody. Definitely. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.